from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 87 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch. Dan Duggan on vacation this week as he gets set uh, to kind of recharge his batteries before we get to NFL draft season. So James is with me. We have a lot to talk about as he just, um, I think, woke up after getting some rest, finally, after a crazy week out at the owners' meetings out in Arizona. So James is with me. We'll talk about the owners' meetings uh, the Giants owner spoke this t- this week for the first time in a while. We got some updates on maybe some interest in Adrian Peterson. We heard from Ben McAdoo, Geno Smith being talked about a lot by the fan base. Uh, of course, some rule changes in the NFL. And we'll start looking forward to the NFL draft specifically when it comes to what the Giants might do with their quarterback succession plan. James, how are you, man? I am good, Joe. Yes, uh, 12 hours of sleep kills jet lag, I've learned. Well, I think you needed it just based on watching how much you guys uh, were working and what you guys were doing out there and all the content you were providing. Uh, I think you needed a couple hours rest. So you got it and you're good for this podcast. So it was eventful out in Arizona. And I think we should start with for the first time in a while, we heard from you know, the ownership and we heard from, you know, Giants Brass. What were your big takeaways uh, from your availability with them? Yeah, no, obviously John Mara, it kind of, you know, we got there on Sunday and it kind of started right then and there. John Mara, it was the first time he spoke to, you know, beat writers at length uh, in over 200 days. We hadn't heard from John until uh, back in training camp in mid-August. And even then, he only really was talking about the, the whole Josh Brown debacle. He wasn't really talking about the team specifically. So it was really the first time that we touched base with John on what he thought about the job Jerry Reese has done. Uh, you know, what he thought about the job Ben McAdoo has done, where he thinks the team stands. And we also talked to Steve Tisch. Now, Tisch had spoken at Tom Coughlin's uh, charity event in the city, I think, back in October. So it hadn't been as uh, – we talked to him a little bit more recently, but we also did the same stuff with him. The vibe I got is they're really happy with what Jerry Reese did. I, I think they feel that he's really risen to the occasion after he was kind of put on notice at the end of the 2015 season. Uh, they're obviously very pleased with what McAdoo's done here in one. And they have high expectations for this Giants team. They spent a lot of money last year in free agency. Obviously, they go bring Brandon Marshall in this year. No one would come out and say Super Bowl, but, but I, I think it's very clear that's what is on everyone's minds that they expect to go contend for a championship this season. And now it's just going to, it's, you know, the, the draft still come, but basically the team's kind of built and now they're going to hand it over to the, the coaching side of things and, and the players. And we'll see where this goes. But that was my major takeaway is that they have very high expectations for 2017. And I think they're as bad as high as they can get probably in private. James, how would you compare that? I'm trying to think back to the last time, and, and you said you spoke to each of them at different times in the past, but obviously not you know, very recently. How would you compare the tone of the organization in their minds, the way they're projecting it to you, compared to last time that they talked about the tone? I mean, uh, look, this franchise reset itself a little over a year ago, new coach, and kind of put Jerry on the hot seat to an extent. And, and like you said, they're happy with what he's done now, but – it feels like a 180 to the last time that they spoke about an overview of the team. Yeah, I mean, I think they were optimistic about, about the team, uh, you know, 
prior to last season, go in you know early in last season. But they really they hadn't. It was kind of talk, you know. It was all talking season. They hadn't you know proven anything. Now they've got eleven and five season, a playoff berth. They've kind of got that in their back pocket. They've made a, a very solid first couple of steps forward, kind of climbing out of the, the hole they dug for themselves with four straight non playoff years. So I think they're you know that they're a little bit more confident in the sense that they, they've proven you know that they they've accomplished something now. Uh, they're, they're nowhere near satisfied. But when we go back to before last season. It was just kind of, you know, you know, as the, the title of this podcast says, as Tom Coughlin once said, talk is cheap. All they had was talk uh, before last season and even early on in last season. Now they've got some results, and I think they can kind of lean on that as they talk about what they expect to have going forward. Yeah, they can. And now as you look, James, at the team and you said, they were, you know, they really are almost a finished product in terms of veterans. Maybe something will happen here in the next couple of weeks, but probably a finished product in terms of veterans, then the NFL draft. But the one name and his name came up this week that is still out there and people are still wondering what's going to happen here is Jonathan Hankins, defensive tackle. And, you know, I think a lot of us thought he'd get a big contract somewhere on the open market that never materialized. I don't think it's going to materialize now. What do you think's happening here with Hankins and his market? Well, I think obviously, you know, people who read on NJ.com what Dan wrote, and obviously we've discussed this in uh, other stories. I think what happened was the defensive tackle market just never materialized. And look, that was a surprise to a lot of people, myself included. I just assumed that with all the cap space that was out there, you were going to see guys like Hankins and Benny Logan and Don Terry Poe get big deals just like any other position we've kind of seen around the league. Uh, it didn't work that way. I, I think there's probably a couple of reasons why. I think one of them is we discussed this, I think, on an earlier podcast. Maybe defensive tackle is going to be like running back, a, a position that you know teams just don't value as much because they can just kind of draft and develop and then let the guy go and do it all over again every four years in a you know three four four years go get another guy in the draft. But I just think Hankins' agent Kevin Post and it. Look, until it's a finished deal, I don't know if you can emphatically say that they completely botched the negotiation or whatever, but it just doesn't look good at this point. It seems like Hankins wants a lot of money, and no one is willing to give him a lot of money. And it's not like a general manager is going to wake up on Friday morning and go, you know what, I'm going to go give Hankins $8 million a year annually for over four years. I mean, th- those type of deals happen in the first you know, two days of free agency. They don't happen in three weeks into free agency. So I think the Giants, uh, you know, mostly with on-the-record comments, you, know, you also saw some, you know, you know, off the, you know, not for attribution leaks here and there. I mean, I think they've made it very clear. They have an offer to Hankins on the table. Uh, Steve Tisch confirmed that. He said, yes, we have our offer on the table. It's not going anywhere. They, they haven't put a deadline on Hankins yet. Uh, by all indications, it's, it's believed to be a pretty fair offer compared to what the market is for a defensive tackle. And, you know, look, it's up to Hankins. Sign it, don't sign it. I think the Giants made it very clear they'd love to have Hankins back. They think he's a very good player, uh, no rush. But at the same time, if Hankins doesn't come back, I don't think their world's going to fall apart. I think they'll just move on and get someone in the draft. I think that having Damon Harrison, you know, you put a guy like Jay Bromley or Robert Thomas who have shown flashes here or there, you go draft a guy. I think the Giants will be pretty confident that with, snacks on one side uh they'll be able to make do with the other defensive tackle spot so the ball's in hankins court now i mean he can sign with the giants he can go someplace else 
uh, maybe on a one-year deal. It sounds like the Giants aren't really willing to go the one-year uh, deal route, which is smart by their part because why give Hankins a one-year deal that eats up uh, more of your cap space than it would if it was just a multi-year deal, as we've seen with all these low cap numbers. And uh, why give him a chance to make it even tougher for you to bring him back next year if he has another strong season? So I think that's where it kind of stands. Hankins is either going to have to take what the Giants have on the table. He's going to have to take a one-year deal, one-year deal elsewhere. I would assume there's got to be some team that would be willing to give him that because, you know, Don Terry Poe made like six free agent visits before he signed in Atlanta. You would think, you know, follow the bouncing ball. One of those teams might be interested in Hankins. And hey, there's not been a lot of, maybe there's some team out there that has a multi-year deal on the table for Hankins and, and no one knows about it. It'll be some mystery surprise team. But that's why I think the Giants, they made it very clear. They like to have Hankins back. Uh, they're willing to have him back, but they're not going to, you know, they're not going to bend over backwards. They're not going to give him a ridiculous amount of money. And if he goes someplace else, we'll just move on. James, assuming he doesn't have that one that multiple year deal out there, right? And assuming he signs either a one year deal with the Giants or somewhere else, do you think this is going to start a trend here? I mean, this is there's been more than a handful of guys that have done this and big names. Like when this whole free agent period started, I think we would have rated Alshon Jeffrey as one of the biggest contracts. We would have said Terrell Pryor would get a big deal. We would have said Jonathan Hankins, you know, for a defensive tackle, would get a big multi year deal. Jeffrey one year deal. Uh, Tor, uh, excuse me, Terrell Pryor one-year deal. And now it looks like Hank gets one-year one-year deal. Do you think this is going to be a new thing where players bet on themselves? Is this a, a one-year blip? What do you make of all this? I, I I think I think what's interesting is you look at all these one-year deals. You know, with the exception of JPP, who I think was kind of a unique situation given you know what had happened with his hand and everything. Most of the time, the one-year deal is done when a guy leaves a team. Because I just don't – I mean, you look at Pryor, uh, you look at Jeffrey. I mean, I don't see what the Bears or the Browns would have gained by giving – it's almost like we'll give you a one-year deal so you can play really well, and then we have even less of a chance to re-sign you in the next year. So I think that's it, – It's it could be a trend, but these guys have to realize that they're going to have to go move to another city potentially for just you know a, 10 months basically. And, and maybe guys are fine with that because I just don't think if you're a team that you have a player like a Hankins or a Pryor or a Jeffrey and they're, they're your player, it doesn't really make much sense to me to give that guy a one-year deal when the best-case scenario for that guy is that he prices himself out of leaving you. I, I think JPP was different just because you know the, the uncertainties and the kind of the relationship you have with the Giants and, and after the whole fireworks accident. So I think it is a trend, but it's also a risky trend because – what happens if Alshon Jeffrey, you know, gets hurt or, you know, or, or, or moreover, like a guy like Jeffrey? I mean, what happens if Carson Wentz gets hurt and all of a sudden Nick Foles is his quarterback? You know, he's not going to necessarily put up the same amount of numbers. And, you know, and, and if he has an injury history, it, it's, it's a risky proposition to me. I think it's really risky also for a guy like Pryor because you don't know what's going to happen in Washington. They could be a complete dumpster fire this year. So you, know, you also don't even know. I mean, obviously, the Redskins are saying they're committed to Kirk Cousins. But what happens if they get to the draft and they say, we can't get this guy signed? And the Niners basically lie in the weeds the whole time and say, well, here's the deal. Well, all of a sudden, Terrell Pryor is making his prove-it deal with, with Colt McCoy. So, you know, I, I think it, it could be a trend, but there's a lot of risks. The players are risking on themselves. Bet paid off for JPP. 
I don't know if the bet's going to pay off going into a new team necessarily for some of these wide receivers. And a guy like Hankins, you know, defensive tackles, you know, if he doesn't have like five, six, seven sacks, uh, you know, he might find the market even worse in 2018. Yeah, and look, even if it works out for a couple of these guys, the odds aren't working out for everybody. Uh, it, it's not very good. So it's going to be a, a fun little subplot to, to watch, and Hankins could be the final one to, to go down that route. James, the, probably the phrase that got talked about the most here back east while you were out there uh, in Phoenix and in Arizona for these owners' meetings was never say never. And that was Ben McAdoo and the idea of Adrian Peterson, who is still a free agent and who also might be on a one-year deal, but he's obviously a different story, an older player, a Hall of Fame player, not what he once was, but again, we don't even know what he still is, but he's certainly a big name. What did you make of the never say never? And should Giants fans read into that as maybe there's a chance Adrian Peterson ends up with the Giants? No. Look, I think Giants fans know this. Never say never is what Ben pretty much says to anything. And I, and I wrote on NJ.com, I listed you know some of the – I think I had nine instances in the past where he had said never say never. And they were usually things that either didn't happen, uh, couldn't happen, or like you've no idea. Like, he once said never say never when you have to be an NFL team in London. It's just kind of a, 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 a crutch he uses when he doesn't want to answer a question or he can't answer a question. So – uh, everyone got caught up in a tizzy because I think, look, I think from an outside national perspective, the Adrian Peterson to the Giants makes sense. They, they could use another running back. I think that, you know, obviously Adrian Peterson is a, is a sexy name. People want to talk about the Giants are sort of considered a team on the rise. They're getting a 10 for a Super Bowl. You got Odell. I mean, but people don't understand that Ben always says never say never. And usually it doesn't amount to anything. And it's just, when you look dig deep, Adrian Peterson to the Giants doesn't make sense. They want to be young. He's 32 years old. He's got a lot of tread on his tires. He's got an injury history. Uh, he's never been traditionally very good out of the shotgun. This is the team that's in the shotgun 50% of the time. Yes, you could run out, you know, but do they really want to change their offense for a 32-year-old running back. Uh, there's the off-field issues. Look, they don't want to talk about Josh Brown anymore. They want they consider it a new year. This is kind of all past them, which is fine. But the story basically is done. But if you bring Adrian Peterson in, that that's just going to restart those questions again. Uh, so I just think that this is just sort of a, a national thing. Uh, locally, I'm not saying, I mean, look, I guess you, ne- you can never say never in the NFL. And maybe if Adrian Peterson's price comes down to a ridiculously low level, the Giants would say, Okay, let's give this a shot. But I mean, if Peterson's apparently out there demanding, you know, big money. I, I just don't think it's a fit for the Giants, and I just think that Mac. What I mean, McAdoo probably doesn't want to say no. We're not going to sign him because they might sign him somehow. You know, he doesn't know what's going to happen two weeks down the road. So I, I don't think the Giants will sign Adrian Peterson. I think the chances of that happening are very, very small. And I think that it was just sort of a, a national perspective on something that locally was explained a lot more clearer at this level. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I read your piece on the never saying everything. I, I could see why that headline, you know, on a national site or just from a football fan who's just kind of observing from afar is like, oh, wow, never say never. He didn't say no. And but again, that's the way McAdoo talks. And, and you and I and Dan have talked about this in the beginning. The fit just doesn't really make that much sense other than 
the Giants could use an upgrade at the running back position. Adrian Peterson is a big name, and he's out there. At what point do you think – and I always think this happens, James, with teams in every sport where they don't necessarily love the player. They don't necessarily love the situation. But do you think there ever comes to a point here where, hey, Adrian Peterson's still a free agent. If he'll take this, we're willing to give him that. Like, Do you think the Giants have, have closed the door on the idea or is it open to the point where we get to June – they don't get it back in the NFL draft for whatever reason, they, whether they want one or don't, that they like. And they look at him and say, he's better than nothing. Yeah, I, and I'm sure that's probably why McAdoo says never say never. And if you ever ask Jerry Reese about it, he, he wouldn't give you an answer. But that being said, I think that you know the Giants – You know, look, he, McAdoo said he thinks Orleans Darker can be an impact player. They like Paul Perkins, obviously. Uh, Shane Vereen, when he was healthy in 2015, had a really good year. I mean, you only can carry, you know, they had five running backs last year, but Bobby Rainey was basically a special teamer. So if they're planning on drafting a running back, which I think we'd all agree is, is a likelihood, given how deep this, this class is, then they pretty much have all the running backs they need. Now, if they get to June, I mean, I'm sure if Peterson's price comes down to a certain level, they might be interested. But I also think that brings you carries over to the next thing, which is would John Mara sign off on the deal or not because of the off-field considerations? And to be honest with you, I, I don't know for sure that they've even gotten to the point where they brought this to John's desk yet. So, plus, I, I, I just find it hard to believe that Peterson is not going to get a deal with someone at, at some point. Like I know he's working out with Jameis Winston, so I think the Tampa stuff – and remember, back on first take when this all started, out of the blue – he mentioned the Bucks as a potential landing spot. So my guess is that Peterson will sign someplace uh, at some point just because whatever he's asking for now and whatever the Giants would pay for him, my, my guess is there's someplace in the middle that would give him more of a chance to be the featured back. I don't think Peterson would come here and get 20 carries a game. I mean, I, honestly, I, I don't know how it would work because they're committed to Vereen as a third down back. They like Perkins. They might draft a kid. They like Darkwa. I don't know if there's really any room for Peterson. So as I wrote this the other day on NJ.com. I think, remember uh, last offseason with safety, we all kind of talked about it. They're going to get a veteran safety. They're going to do this. And they kind of stood pat. They drafted Darian Thompson. And it turns out that it worked out well. Landon Collins emerged, became a star, and they liked Thompson a lot. So I could see running back being a similar situation where we, we look at it and we think they got to do something, they got to do something, and they just draft a guy and, and they and they kind of rolled what they have. Uh, that's my guess at this point. So I'm sure if Peterson was willing to play for a very, very low amount of money and the Giants decided that they could handle the PR or that wasn't a concern for them, then sure, down the road maybe they'll sign him. And that's why I say that. I guess there's a chance. But I think right now it, it's just hard for me to see Adrian Peterson being on this team in 2017. Yeah, it is hard. It's been hard from the beginning. It's funny you mentioned the first take thing. I think Vegas, when they put out their odds for Adrian Peterson, where he'll land, the Bucks were the favorite from the beginning. And it was like, well, the Bucks, But uh, that one does seem to have the most... Vegas uh, knows. Vegas knows. They always do. All right, so uh, Vegas knows Adrian Peterson probably won't be a giant. We all know that Geno Smith is. And Ben McAdoo, when talking about him with you guys this week... He alluded to something that I, I don't think any Giants fan ever probably thought over this last couple of weeks, uh, you know, since Geno Smith arrived with the Giants, that the idea of Geno Smith maybe as the successor to Eli Manning. What did you hear? What did you make of it? And is this just the case of a coach talking about a player on his roster potentially getting better over the years? Or is there more to this? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I guess Dan kind of says, I mean, what's Ben going to say? Like, no, this guy has no chance. Like, yeah, that's you know, for I, me, that's for me to say. Like, like he can't say. Yeah, this. no, yeah. Look, I, I think a couple things with Gino. One, it's a very low risk move, and I've written this. I don't get it. Uh, is I, is this the first podcast we've done since Gino signed? I think it is. I yeah, think it is. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't get this. You know, it's just Gino. He, he was not a good quarterback with the Jets. He basically hasn't played quarterback. I mean, all you got to know about this is that Ryan Fitzpatrick threw, threw six interceptions in a game last year, and Gino, I don't think, got to play for another three weeks. I mean, that kind of tells you all you need to know about Gino, in my opinion. Uh, off field has has been a mess. You know. Look, but the thing is, I don't think I feel like you, as much as I don't think this makes much sense for the Giants, you can't really get too bent out of shape about it because they have invested much money at all in Geno. They can cut him very easily. I would say, in my opinion, he's you know an underdog to be the backup right now, just because Josh Johnson's uh, been in the system for a year. Geno hasn't. Josh Johnson's gonna be ready to roll when OTAs st- uh, when offseason program starts. Geno's still rehabbing. You know, so I think Gino's best bet, and even when the Giants sent out a press release, you know, we haven't talked to Gino. Gino's not talking to anyone, even Mike Francesa at this point. Um, when they sent out the press release, Gino made some comment about he's a one-year deal, like you know, you know, taking advantage of this year. So I don't even think that even if Gino is on the roster in 2017, my guess is his his best bet would be the Giants don't draft a quarterback this year, and then Gino could potentially be that third-string guy. You're kind of that, you know, him and Johnson are kind of both on the roster and one's just inactive each week. Obviously, Gino has active, you know, game game by game checks involved, too. So that's another wrinkle to this. But he at least would be on the team and be able to practice and stay in the system. I just think this has been, you know, yeah, I'm sure like obviously the Giants think that they can kind of rebuild Gino if they brought him in. So I, I think Ben is more of I mean, if Ben says, no, this guy, this guy can't ever start, then he's basically saying I can't make him into a starter which would kind of run against the reason why they brought him here. So he said it. I know people made fun of it. When I heard him say it, I kind of said to myself, whoa, wait wait a minute. Um, but, you know, what's he going to say? I think that the whole Gino thing, people are fascinated by it. And obviously when Gino finally speaks to the media, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that works. Because I, I've written this before. Gino just is not going to show up to the Giants and just kind of fade to the background and just be kind of a guy who's, you know, seen and, and not heard. I mean, he's Gino Smith, and everyone by staying in the area, everyone is intimately familiar with everything that went wrong in Florham Park. If he had gone to Cleveland, they, they wouldn't care. But it's very much a story here. So I think that. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, but I would Giants fans who are upset just pump the brakes because I think there's a long way to go before we even can think about the possibility of Geno having a future with the Giants. Starting with is the guy even here in Week One? Yeah, I, I think that's the key there. Like, how quickly does he can you know does he make the team, and then we'll go from there, and, and we'll see what they do in the draft. We'll get to some draft stuff in a couple minutes. Or before we move on from the. Owners' meetings. Let's talk a little bit about the rule changes because the rule changes, James, were a, a big talking point. The, the two talking points among fans this week were it felt like outside of just team perspectives, you know, team by team things, where the Raiders moved to Las Vegas, obviously, and then all the different rule changes, and not even not even just the rule changes that happened, but the proposals, you know, which always could be a 
a forecaster to the future. If, you know, if they didn't vote on this time, but maybe they'll be back on the table next time. What did you make of the, of the changes that were made and the ones that weren't? The one that stood out to me as they the NFL now, it feels like we're having a baseball conversation. They're trying to move along the pace of the game and the, the length of the game. There was the vote, uh, or they tabled it, I guess, uh, the idea of moving overtime from 15 minutes to 10. What did you think of that one and then the rules that did uh, pass and change here? I don't really have a problem with the overtime change. A lot of people have this like animosity toward ties. I don't really mind. I mean, I, I don't think – you know, this whole, like, like, I guess, American thing that, like, there has to be a winner and a loser. I'm perfectly fine with a tie. I mean, if the NFL said, well, we're just not going to have overtime in the regular season, I, I would be fine with that, too. You know, just end the game in a tie. I mean, I, I think the ties, you know, they make the playoff race more interesting. You know, I mean, you know, we always talk about these scenarios like winner tie, loser tie. And obviously, like, people don't even really consider the ties, but. You know, I just think it would make things more interesting. There'd be more strategy involved, potentially. I mean, if it was up to me, I would just go back to sudden death overtime. I think college overtime is stupid. It's not even, it's just, it's not even real football. It's just kind of you know, seven on seven, basically. You know, when you put the ball in a 25 and you go back and forth, you have to go for two. after. I just don't like that at all. I'm, the 10 minutes is fine. I do think it's interesting, though, that they've basically said that, well, if the team wins the coin toss and they have a nine-minute and 30-second drive and they go kick a 21-yard field goal, well, you know, the other team is going to have to, you know, you know they, if they don't get a field goal or, or score a touchdown in like 20 seconds, game's over, the other team wins. Uh, that kind of seems to me to defeat their whole purpose of the – I hate the overtime rules as they currently stand. I, I just think it should be sudden death. I mean, that's – I understand the whole argument of coin toss. But basically, I guess what I'm saying is – they changed the overtime rules because they said, we don't want a coin toss to determine who wins the game. And now they've created a 10-minute situation where a coin toss very well may determine who wins the game. But they're okay with that now for some reason. So, you know, this, uh, John Mayer basically said, you know, well, if you're the defense, you, you shouldn't let the team drive the ball for 9 minutes and 40 seconds to kick a field goal. Well, my argument would be, well, if you're the defense, you shouldn't let the team drive at all and go kick a field goal if it was back in sudden death. So it was up to me. Ten minutes is fine. Go back to sudden death. I think that's what the NFL should do. If they go to ten minutes, and it sounds like they probably will maybe later on in the year at another meeting, that's fine. Uh, I don't think ties hurt the game at all. But to me, I, I just think they should go back to sudden death. That's the way it should be. And, and as I said, if they want to get do something radical and say no overtime in the regular season, I'm fine with that too. You know, I thought about that same thing, James, when it came, and, uh, with the time and overtime and holding the ball. I thought about a team like the Cowboys, right, that could yeah. kind of take the air out of the ball and just run it. And the one thing I always like when there's rule changes, I know people worry about the end game and, like, how it finishes. But, like, I like the idea of, of strategy. And I saw that, I, I guess, the owners didn't want this or didn't pass it because they were afraid of this. But, like, the strategy there is interesting to me. If you just hold the ball and you have a long drive, right, and you go for seven minutes – that, in effect, might make sure you don't lose the game, right? Because the other team might only have two and a half minutes, and they may not have time to go for the field goal, right? They may just – excuse me, the touchdown to beat you. They may have to just go for the field goal to tie you. So I think it would be fun. I think there would be some – the strategy there would be fun. But obviously, this time it's not going to pass. So, so what happened – the other thing that was there's no more leaping over the long snapper, right, for those field goals? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, Tom Quinn, the Giants special teams coach, has always said, like, they've had that play in the book, but, you know, they just thought it was kind of too dangerous on their side. So, you know, they don't want to, you know, send some valuable guy leaping and he falls and lands and hurts himself. So I think it was, you know, plus, I mean, you know, the leaping, you basically guys end up catapulting over the long snapper's back and everything. So that's a smart move to me, just kind of get rid of that. Yeah, me too. That that one, uh, you know, health and safety of the game, that wasn't going to be able to last for long. All right, so we had some rule changes. We had the Giants owners and coach speak. Fun week for the owners meetings. And now, James, we start to look ahead. And we'll, we'll wrap this podcast with uh, a little draft conversation. In the next couple of weeks, Dan will be back with us, and we'll ratchet this up all the way towards the end of April when the Giants will have the 23rd pick in the draft. And all eyes will be on not only that first-round pick, but the idea of when or if – they take a quarterback here. So give me your thoughts today uh, in this first week of April on the Giants and the pursuit of a quarterback at some point in a draft, maybe the end of this month. I think – I don't think the Giants are going to take a quarterback in the first round. I'm, I mean if Trubisky somehow fell to 23, maybe they would. But my guess here is that – and I've been saying this for a while – from the second round on, I think you could see it happen. I think that I wrote this the other day. Mike Sullivan was at Notre Dame. He saw Deshaun Kaiser. To me, it, you know, there was a lot of talk about you know the whole Rodgers to Favre thing. Now, just to clarify a couple things: McAdoo and McCarthy were not in Green Bay when uh, the the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers. I believe it happened. It was 05, so it was the last year with Mike Sherman involved. They fired Sherman. So McAdoo, uh, excuse me, McCarthy inherited Favre and Rodgers. Uh, he wasn't there to make that move. And obviously I believe they had before trade. you go on, I believe there's a fun story with Rodgers, uh, and he probably still does it, but I, I remember reading a story a few years ago that he always teased McCarthy because McCarthy, I think in 06 or 05, or whatever year it was, whatever year Rodgers and 05, Rodgers and Smith were drafted, I think McCarthy was on the – Niners staff that year? Yes, yeah. And so he basically always teased McCarthy that you chose Alex Smith over me. You were yes. part of a staff that chose Alex Smith over me. Go ahead. I just thought I'd throw that in. No, that, that's absolutely right. I, I didn't even think of that. That's a great story. So it, it's not like Ben has been part of the bunker to do this before. They just kind of got really lucky that they showed up to Green Bay and they had this situation. Um, so I was kind of brought up. I And I think that, look, if you're going to do like a – try to draw a Favre-Rogers parallel. I mean, I like Nathan Peterman from Pitt, but you don't draft Nathan Peterman in the third round and say, like, he's going to be the Rogers, the Eli's Favre. You've got to go, like, take a swing for the fence move. And I think that Kaiser makes the most sense because he's a guy who, if he had gone back to Notre Dame for a year, he probably would have ended up being maybe like a top 10 pick this next year. He still might be a first-round pick, but I think a lot of people feel that he would have been like a top-of-the-draft pick, potentially with another year under his belt in college. So, so if the Giants can get him at 55, which I think would be highly unlikely, uh, that would be something I'm sure they would pounce on. Maybe it, maybe they kind of trade up to the top of the second round to get him. Or, or, you know, someone even said this on Twitter to me. Maybe they make their pick at 23, you know, get a guy like you know, Zach Cunningham, Christian McCaffrey, O.J. Howard, and then they just say, you know, screw it. We're going to get back into the first round somehow and try to grab one of these quarterbacks. I could see that happening. So I don't think they're going to draft 
a quarterback at 23. I think 55 and whatever they pick in the second round, they could move up there. Definitely. I think Kaiser's an intriguing name just because he needs some time to develop. And I guess uh, Pat Mahomes from Texas Tech might be in the same category, but that's what the Giants have. They have time. I also think that we've discussed this. If you take a guy like Kaiser or Mahomes, who is, you know, people said that, you know, they're going to need it some time to develop, some seasoning, you know, they're kind of a project. You're going to be giving yourself, alleviating pressure. Because as I've always said, I think we've talked to podcasts before. If you take Watson or, or Trubisky, you know, kind of the top guys in the first round, and we're six weeks into the season, the Giants are two and four, and Eli's playing very poorly, what's going to happen? There's going to be back pages and columnists and fans screaming for Eli to get benched. And while the Giants would never do that, I'm sure, I mean, that's just going to create a circus atmosphere that they don't really want to bring on. But I don't think anyone's going to be calling for Kaiser to start in week seven if they draft him late first round, early second round, and they make it very clear this guy's a project who's a year or two away. And if they time it up right, Eli retires, this guy takes over. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, I, and, you know, things move so fast now, right? Like maybe 20 years ago, if the same situation was playing out, people would just kind of understand the rookie quarterback, regardless of where he's drafted, you know, probably isn't ready to play. But no one thinks like that anymore because most players play pretty fast. So, yeah, I think the optics of it, where they draft a kid, it, it's all going to play into it. Now, do we think – what's your best guess here? Because each team has, gets 30 visits. Do you expect the Giants – to use some of these visits here and, and along with private workouts, which I know are, are different if you go to the, the players' campus, but do you expect them to um, spend time with these quarterbacks or they'll just do their work and if one of these kids is there, they'll take them? Or do you think this is going to be a, a big story for you and Dan that you know, they're going to visit this quarterback and that quarterback over the next couple of weeks? I don't know, but you know, I guess they may do some of the visit stuff. I think by and large, the Giants, they tend to use their their, their visits the facility on guys with like, you know, question marks, like red flags. And they also tend to use them, I think, to kind of get a head start on, you know, recruiting undrafted free agents. I mean, the story last year, Darian Thompson, who they took in the third round out of Boise State, they didn't, I, I don't think really visit, they didn't bring him in for a visit. I think they had, you know, you know, just glancing contact with him at best. But Dante Dion his teammate at Boise State, who they ended up signing as undrafted cornerback, they brought him to East Rutherford on one of their visits. So I think they kind of use those visits. Hey, guys, look at the facility. Welcome to New York. You know, a guy who they, they think there's some value in as an undrafted rookie uh, if he doesn't get picked. And I don't know if – I mean, they might, but at the same time, a lot of these quarterbacks are, are pretty well vetted, so they don't necessarily have red flags. I mean – I guess if uh, if they were interested in a guy like Chad Kelly, maybe they bring him in. But my guess is that you're going to see the Giants do the pro day thing. They've talked to these guys. You know, they talked to some guys at the combine. You know, Peterman, Webb, uh, those guys were at what the Senior Bowl. So it's entirely possible that you know if they didn't talk to them at the combine, they probably got that taken care of at the Senior Bowl. I think Dobbs at the Senior Bowl as well. So my guess is they're just kind of doing. Look, they're definitely doing their homework. So I think that. It's a possibility. I still think it's 50-50 if they draft a quarterback, and I think it's going to depend on how the draft unfolds. You know, if uh, Kaiser and Watson and Trubisky and Mahomes all go off the board in, like, the top 20, then maybe they just say, okay, we're going to try again next year. Uh, I, I think it probably depends on how the draft unfolds. The Giants probably don't even know if they're going to draft a quarterback, but they're definitely 
doing the necessary legwork to prepare for taking a quarterback, which I, I think is very noteworthy, and it's something we're going to be talking about a lot. Uh, we might not have much of a payoff come the end of April, but I do think it's very seriously on the table. My guess is the first round is very unlikely, but the second round on, I think anything could happen. Yeah, and it's it's a story because this is the first time that they've done this since 2004. That that, that makes it the story. It's not just the quarterback. It's, it's the yeah. fact that they and, haven't done this in a long time. And one last thing. I've seen a lot of fans do like, oh, well, we should trade up and, and get Trubisky and then trade Eli. Look. Oh, Eli Manning is going to be the Giants' starting quarterback until he can't be, at which point he will retire. I, this, I would be – I mean, look, anything could happen, but I, I would be stunned, floored, if Eli Manning ever plays another snap for another team in the NFL. And the guy built his home in New Jersey, his family – I mean, it's just not going to happen. And I don't think the Giants have ever – I mean, he has a no-trade clause to start with. And I just, be, I just can't fathom a situation where the Giants would like bench Eli for you know, Mitch Trubisky at some point. Like if Eli truly, he's under contract for three more years. Now I'm sure, like if Eli's play just fell off a cliff, they might go to him and say, "Look, Eli, like you know, we, we really think we got to do something." And I think at that point he would just retire. I, I don't think he would pull a Peyton and go someplace, you know, I just don't see it happening. So this, the whole fantasy that they're going to bench Eli for a rookie next year, or they're going to trade Eli to the Saints, just stop. Eli Manning is going to be the quarterback until he can't be the quarterback anymore, at which point they'll transition to something. It's not a bad idea to have an option on hand rather than have Eli just retire. And it's like, you know, oh, oh, crap, what are we going to do? Uh, so I do think the Giants are smart to get a quarterback in here in the next year or two so they have that option on hand when it comes. Because it is coming. You know, Father Time is undefeated. But this, this, these, these, these crazy scenarios where Eli leaves the Giants or gets benched, just stop. It's not happening. The, oh, and I totally agree with you. There's only one scenario I've, I've cooked up in my head where I could see Eli in another uniform. And that's like a 40-year-old Eli in 2020 after his Giants contract expires going to play for the Saints who are run by Peyton Manning. Like, like something crazy and wacky and like that. You're right. And I, I, just don't, I just don't think Eli is that type of guy. Probably isn't. Like, I've always said this. I think Eli is going to – when his career ends, he, he's going to retire and he's just going to go – he's going to kind of go away. Yeah. You know? Like I don't think he's going to go run a team or be on t- – I just, I, just, I just don't think – obviously none of us know Eli terribly well. I just don't think Eli is the guy. I just think when, when when the time runs up in New York, I just think Eli is that's it. I think he's a giant for life, and I just find it very hard to see Eli. One, the Giants doing that to Eli. I mean, they would handle that with the most care possible. I mean, you, I don't think you didn't see what happened with, with Green Bay with, with Favre. The Giants are going to do everything they can to do right by Eli. I think he's going to do everything he can to do right by them. So I just don't see him being traded. I, I just think this is Eli's team. Even if they draft a quarterback this year, hi, it's Eli's team for the indefinite future. It definitely is. All right, so we'll, we'll end there on the Eli stuff and the quarterback stuff, but this is going to be a big theme here. Uh, and, you know, it's funny to wrap it up. You, you mentioned the Favre-Rogers thing, which always is brought up here. And I had imagined the same thing happened with that franchise. I don't think they went into that draft expecting and, and saying, oh, we're going to get Brett Favre's successor. But Aaron Rodgers was there in, what, 25 or wherever they were picking the first 20, round. 20, and 24, I believe. Right, well, right around pick- where the – 
yet where the Giants are. Exactly. Right. So if, if it is Mitch Trubisky, I'm not saying Trubisky's Aaron Rodgers 2.0, but or if it is a guy that's supposed to go higher and is there, anything could happen. James, this was fun. We'll be back soon with Dan, and we'll start ratcheting it up with the NFL draft conversation, which is what? Three weeks from yesterday? Am I right about that? Four weeks. Four weeks. Four weeks. Draft season. I, I think draft season is very fun because it's just, there's just kind of like, I mean, you know, obviously all these crazy rumors come out and everything, but it's just, it seems like NFL teams, it's kind of a sense of renewal of, you know, even no matter how bad your team is or how close your team is, you know, there's a sense that something good can kind of come of the draft and you can add some pieces that for fans and teams perspectives, make, make your chances of being successful better. Um, doesn't usually work out for a lot of teams, but I think it's, it's kind of a hope, Hope springs eternal thing for the NFL. No doubt. James, have a good one. And uh, I will see you. What we're going to be doing, guys, check out next week on Thursday, April 6th. We're going to be the NJ.com offices. We're going to do a live mock draft on Facebook, going through the whole first round. So that should be a lot of fun. So, James, I'll see you uh, next Thursday. And all our listeners as well can uh, tune into NJ.com's Facebook page. You got it, Joe. I'm looking very forward to that. Got to figure out who I'm picking for the Giants at 23. All right, well, I'll be waiting, and we'll be there, and we'll talk to you guys then. Everyone, thank you for listening to Episode 87 of Talk is Cheap right here on NJ.com.